But we have a wonderful privilege this morning, a very special guest, not just because of his name, which is a wonderful name, um, but he's got far more titles than I do. Very good name. A very good name indeed. The Reverend Dr. Andrew White is with us. Uh, for those who don't know, I won't even endeavour to give you a full panorama or perspective on his incredible life and journey with the Lord and ministry, but he has spent uh, nearly two decades over in Baghdad ministering there, and the Lord's used him in incredible ways in the midst of uh, all sorts of trials, hardships, and persecutions, and it really is a great honor to be able to welcome here and get to know him a little bit this morning. So would you join with me in welcoming him this morning? No, I don't have my Bible. They've given me everything, but they've forgot the word. That's not the Bible, that's Smith Wigglesworth's Bible. I've just borrowed it for the day. Right, thank you very much. Sorry that I wasn't aware of it. Well, greetings and blessings. It's wonderful to come to worship with you this morning. And it's wonderful to come into a place of worship which is filled with the glory of God. And you can sense the glory as you literally walk into this place, or in some cases, ride into this place. It's great being here, and I'm here because of my dear friend, Karen, and Yesterday we had a conference, and Karen put this conference on. Now, I'm an academic by background, and going to boring conferences can be the most frustrating thing ever. This conference that Karen put on was the best conference I've ever been to. And it happened in your midst. And it was a conference which looked at the suffering of the church today, the suffering of the minorities, of the Assyrian ancient people, and of so many other relevant things. And um, I just thank you so much for the privilege of being here, uh, because you were the one who got me here. I don't whiz across the world for a one-day conference every week, so it's great to be here. Now, I am um, really steeped in the Jewish tradition. Before I went to Iraq, I was really a Jerusalemite. And um, it was quite strange for me being at communion just now, which was wonderful, but it was in English. And it didn't happen in English. It was one of the few services which happened in Hebrew, because it was from the Jewish Kiddush. So what you should have said was <laughs> You said it in English. So it's really, it's really good. And it's a, such an honour for me to be steeped in that tradition where the communion first happened was the act of Kiddush, and it happened in the Assyrian church, or what was the house of the mother of Mary. So it's great to be here, and I want to pray God's blessing in Aramaic before I start. Why? Because I always do as I did in the beginning, so it is now and forevermore. It's the Anglican bit of me. 
Shemit Baba, Brona, Broka Kosha, Ha Alaha, Amen. Messiah, come, come, come. In the name of God Almighty, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. He is risen, risen, risen. We always say at the end of our blessing, one God, because we're living in a predominantly Islamic environment who think that us Christians have got three gods. And I don't know about you, but I know I've only got one. And the other thing that I'm always um, interested in is people think that saying the name of God is saying the names which begin with Y or J. They think that's what you do in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the name of two, oh God is too holy to ever say. We can talk about the Lord, we can talk about Yeshua, Jesus. But you know what God is in Israeli language? Who knows? Hashem. Hashem, and that means the name. Our God is the name, which is higher than any other name. And that's really important for us to know, because I think we, in our bizarre lifestyle, have fail to realize that he is the name by which every other name bows. He is our Lord and God. I have had, I, just to tell you a bit about who I am, my name is Andrew White and I am a um, lover of Jesus and a servant of Hashem and my life has been rooted in the Middle East in the place where Jesus used to live and where he started his ministry and my first experience of physically hanging out with angels was in Bethlehem. But I thought there was a good angelic presence there, but it was nothing like the presence when we were actually in the midst of the war zone in Baghdad. And their angels were my security guards. And we had them all the time. We didn't call them security guards. We called them PSDs, personal security details. And the angelic PSDs were all really big. I'm six foot four when I'm not in the wheelchair, but they were all far bigger than me. And I have one of my old books here, which I was told you're going to order some of. And in this book, one day, with my young people in Baghdad, we were worshipping one Thursday night, as we always did. And there was such a presence of God. Uh, I'm very much about ministry with children and young people. And often when I'm in Sunday school classes and churches, I always say I want to speak to the children first. And I explain to the children that's because the adults are a bit boring. <laughs> but you're not. But we were at this meeting one day and 
We were used to of angels being around, but there were so many angels that day. I said to Dawood, one of my Iraqi boys, I adopted loads of Iraqi children, but I said to one of them, can you take some pictures for me, please? I want to take pictures of us all worshipping together. And he said, Daddy, there's too many angels. They're everywhere. I can't get a decent picture. I said, don't worry, just take pictures of the angels as well. And so he did. And in this book, there's all the pictures of the angels which came out of, as globes. But that night was particularly good because Jesus also was there and he was above us. And you can see him here in this book, which is now out of stock. <laughs> Sorry? There are three left. But I think that might be one of the books which is out of stock. When I was a student, uh, I started off my life in the medical world. When I was nine, our teachers at school said, what do you all want to do when you grow up? Well, everybody wanted to be footballers or soccer players or lorry drivers. And I said, I want to be an anaesthetist and a priest. And the teacher said, you can't, you can only do one thing. And she said, you can't be a priest because you're not a, uh, you're a Pentecostal and they don't have priests. But God brought it round anyway. And then my mother told me, she said, Andrew, you're a very nice boy, but you're not clever enough to be a doctor. And so I thought I'd be a nurse then. But the teachers at school said, no, you've got to go and do it. And I went and I studied medicine and I did various things, but then decided to specialise in anaesthetics. But I didn't do the anaesthetics to put people out. I did anaesthetics to bring back the dead to life. I run the cardiac arrest team. So if you really had problems, they called me to you, not you to me. And I love that job, running the cardiac arrest team at St Thomas's Hospital one of the central hospitals in London, opposite Big Ben. And one day, I was there, and I was so aware of the glory of God. And I said, Lord, I just love it so much here. And I kind of thought maybe God would want me to be there forever. So I said to God, I love it here so much. You've given me the best job I could ever wanted. What do you want me to do next, Lord? And he said to me very clearly, I want you to go into the church. I said, what church? He said, the Anglican church. I said, Lord, they're not even all saved. <laughs> I did. I said, they're not even all saved. And he said, that's where you're going. And so I went to Cambridge to do my theology. And um, I loved it there. And I loved meeting. Yesterday I met some other Cambridge graduates here in the event that we were at yesterday. And it's wonderful to see what God taught me. I didn't learn anything about my ministry in 
vicar factory. <laughs> but I did learn about theology. I found Christian theology really, really boring. So I opted out. So after I did my basic Christian theology degree, I switched to Judaism and Hebrew. And so I used to spend all my time studying rabbinics and Hebrew, and I, um, I belonged to a church, and I went to church. It was quite interesting. The church that I went to was under the, the vicar, the leader, was somebody who was a friend of the man I met yesterday. What was his name, David? David Campbell. An Osterman. Yes. And it was interesting. The man who taught me, who was my mentor, was the man who called David Campbell into the ministry. And it was wonderful just to talk about those circles, how they turn. I remember my first essay I had to write as a student of Christian theology was about Maimon. Did Maimon get it right? He was one of these heretics who tried to remove anything to do with Judaism from the Bible. Um, uh, so he didn't like Revelation and James and various things. And I wrote this essay and I found it really hard. At least when you wrote medical essays, you knew what was right and wrong. You wrote theology and you didn't know what was right and wrong and you still don't 20 years later. And he ripped his essay up and threw it across the law. And he said, Andrew, you are such a terrible writer, you will never be able to write. And now I've written three times more books than he has. <laughs> So I started off my life really within the Judaic scene. I didn't just learn about Jesus the Jew, which is absolutely vital. I learned all about rabbinics and real Judaism. And to be a Jew, you have to be officially to be a Jew, according to the rabbis, you have to be born of a Jewish mother. Having a Jewish father doesn't count. Why? Because you never know really who your father is. That's what the rabbi says. So you've got to be halakhically Jewish. Halakha means to be legally according to the Jewish righteous way to be born of a Jewish mother. So, I loved all my Jewish links and Jewish traditions. And I went off to Israel to further learn Judaism. And I went to the Hebrew University, which is one of the foremost universities in the world. It's as good as Cambridge, which is better than Oxford. <laughs> now, the reason why Oxford and Cambridge are always in the competition with each other, there's always such debate about Oxford and Cambridge. It's basically fought out in a race every year on the River Thames between Oxford and Cambridge. And we won this year. <laughs> but the reality is they're both in competition with each other because they're both as good as each other. 
they're both the best. I, I also have lectureships around the world, including in the pretend Cambridge in Massachusetts. So I'm a fellow there as well. They call it Cambridge, but it's Harvard. And it's a pretend Cambridge. So whenever I start a lecture there, I always say, it's lovely to be back at the pretend Cambridge. <laughs> and so many of my students at the pretend Cambridge are from the real Cambridge. You know, if you've done your study and you're doing your doctorate, you want to go somewhere else which is respected. So they go over there. Really, they'd be better coming here. You know, I absolutely love Australia. What I have, all my original professors of anaesthetics were all Aussies, every one of them. And so you have the ability as a nation and as individuals to produce some of the best ever, and then you send them away. <laughs> it's quite funny because so many, the reason, one of the reasons I'm here is that so many of my Iraqis are here. They were allowed into your great nation to find refuge. ISIS came into Iraq and it really demolished our churches, our Christians, it did the same to the Muslims as well. They weren't the right time. And many went to Jordan, where I also worked, but they only stayed there a while. And 90% of our Jordanians, Iraqis, ended up coming to Australia. So all my children who I had as babies, who I christened, we did dodgy christening, you know. We didn't dunk them properly. But it was quite funny because baptism is such an important thing to me. Because baptism is really going down to the dead and coming up to new life. Um, my um, baptistry in Baghdad was rather good. It was all surrounded with solid gold. And it used to be Saddam Hussein's swimming pool. But he didn't need it anymore. And my chair in chapel, like my see here, was actually his throne. And my chapel was his throne room. So it was a real example of how God had taken down the wicked to create something which was God. And in our lives, we're all faced with things which are evil and wicked. We all need to move from one degree of glory to another. I want to read you a short passage of scripture which comes from Romans chapter 8. And this passage of scripture really means more to me than any other passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Yes, we are in eras of suffering, but the suffering of this present world is nothing to be compared with the glory that is to come. You know, I had such a wonderful time in Iraq and I was quite worried 
because it seemed to undermine my Jewish experience, my, not my Jewish experience, my Israel experience, because there seemed to be more glory there. I've never seen as much glory as I did in Iraq. And there were so many angels, those big guys with wings, who were part of your security brigade. And today, I look at all of my children. I had hundreds of children. But so many of them, when they were little, they were just, you know, one of the problems I had as a cleric, all your little children become beautiful, dynamic women. And they're still walking around holding your hand, cuddling you in public. And it doesn't look very good <laughs> for a clergyman to be surrounded by all these beauties. Um, and this is the problem with seeing all my children. They're all my little children who are all now stunningly beautiful. And all of them are doing so well here. I've got them trained to be doctors and training to be pharmacologists and all really doing great things. And this land was the only land that would take them. And it has created a broken people into a people of glory. Your nation, yesterday I heard how screwed up it was and how bad it was. But it's also a wonderful nation. And you know, we have this week Anzac Day, and that was a great day. It was a day of the suffering of Iraq, turning into, not Iraq, Australia. You're Australia, aren't you? The suffering of Australia, turning into it being a leading nation of democracy in the world a nation which shows people how to bring down and overcome evil. And by the sound of that meeting I went to yesterday, where it's current organized, every lecture was better than the one before. Fortunately, I was one of the last. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I had two slots, but um, I was quite horrified to hear some of the things which are happening in your country and with your constitution and your education. And all of you have got that fight to make your nation a holy nation again. Because I really believe that this nation was created as a holy nation of God. And what we will celebrate on Anzac Day is the celebration of your country moving to be a real nation of peace and democracy in overcoming the evil of Gallipoli. And it was really wonderful. Yesterday, somebody brought me their great-grandfather's army jacket from when he was in Gallipoli. And I thought, that is so wonderful. I can't remember who I got brought so many interesting things. And um, all of you are part of this glory kingdom. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And we are coming to the stage where we will declare forever and ever, Amen. I have 
seen such suffering in my work in ministry. People talk about the persecution of Christians. I wasn't allowed to wear my cross at church or at work. And that seems like the persecution of Christians. When you've had a thousand of your community killed in two days, that's persecution of Christians. And this is still going on around the world today. There are more Christians being killed today in the world than at any time in history. And we have to stand up for them. And the whole thing about this movement, which Karen is one of the leaders of, what's it called? See? Christian faith and freedom. A wonderful declaration of God's will for the nation. And also a willingness to stand with his ancient peoples, the Jewish people, the Assyrian peoples. And one of the talks yesterday was from an Assyrian. And I know a lot about the Assyrians. I speak their language, which was the language of Jesus. Not many people do that. Uh, can you do it? Any of you? Any Assyrian speakers? Maybe you should arrange some Assyrian classes. <laughs> but I only realized yesterday why God had taken me from Jerusalem to Baghdad. He had taken me there to stand with the people who were even older than the Jews, the Assyrians. Do you know the Assyrians in Scripture are the really, really bad guys? Do you know in Iraq you don't call anybody Christian? You call them Assyrian, because all of the Assyrians are Christians. Not just some, but everybody. And the Assyrians started turning to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov when the miserable evangelists came to Iraq by a submarine. Did you know that Iraq was the first nation to have submarine evangelism? They sent a really miserable guy called Jonah <laughs> in a submarine. And they sent him to a place which we call Nineveh, but you call Nineveh. And that is where all of our people come from. All of our indigenous Assyrian Christians are from Nineveh. They might live in Baghdad, but Nineveh is their ancestral home. And it's incredible to see what has come out of Nineveh. And it's incredible to see the heritage of the Hebraic and Syrian tradition in Iraq is far greater than even Israel. Everything comes from there because our spiritual father was Iraqi. He came from... Uh, Really difficult, boring name. It's a long way to. Uh, who was it? Abraham. Did you know Zaraki? He was from. Uh, and he was the only one who really took the message of 
our Father Hashem, to Israel, and made it the Holy Land. I don't like the term Holy Land, I really don't. I call it the Land of the Holy One, who is Hashem. It is His land. And so, ministering in Iraq for so many years was ministering His glory amongst the broken in such terrible suffering. There was the Minister of Human Rights who was a very famous man. He was a doctor called Mwafa Arabay. In England, he was a doctor, and he was just known as Dr. Baker. And I worked for Dr. Baker. And the really bizarre thing was that when we overthrew the Saddam regime, Dr. Baker was asking me to help him get back into Iraq. And he got back into Iraq and he became one of the leaders of the government. I was doing a television program one day for CNN and we were talking about bringing reconciliation between Sunni and Shia. And Dr. Moffat said, can you believe it? That all of the reconciliation between Sunnis and Shias is being led by an English doctor who used to be one of my workers. And I said, no, I find it hard to accept that God would use little me to bring about true reconciliation. In Arabic, we say musalaha, the bringing together, what menting what was one, which is broken. It's a word very much connected with Japanese pottery, pottery, making broken things beautiful again. And for all of us in the church, we are about making whole what was broken. And in the age of pandemic and COVID, etc., we have got a lot of reconciliation to do and making whole again to do. I can never remember, forget that uh, you know medics are a bit critical of things. And I don't just have bad handwriting. I didn't really believe that COVID was anything to worry about. And one day I had a flare-up in my MS and I went to a hospital and three days later I got COVID. And I was in intensive care and on a ventilator for four months. So COVID is real and it was quite bad. It was far worse than I could ever have imagined. And what I actually said was this time in total isolation, not allowed to see my family or anybody, for six months, not four months, was worse than being attacked in Iraq. I said it was worse than when I was, I was thrown one day into a dungeon and it was totally black. I was trying to find out where some people were who were kidnapped. So, when you're making peace, one of the lessons you have learned about peacemaking is you make peace with bad guys. It's not all these nice woolly liberals.
sitting down together saying, oh, we love each other, we love each other. No, you don't make peace with lovely people. You make peace with criminals. And they got me and threw me into this dungeon. And I couldn't see anything. I was just given a cup of water a day. And I still have my phone. I couldn't use my phone because there was no signal. But I put the light on one day and I looked around the room I was in, if it was a room, the dungeon. And there were bits of chopped up body of all the people I'd come to rescue. I was too late. And I said COVID for me was as bad as being thrown into the dungeon because I just felt cut off from life and cut off from the glory. You know, central to my life is living in the glory of God. After a few months, I started coming round and my neurologist came to see me. And um, it was quite interesting because his name was Isa Ibrahim. He didn't train at St. Thomas's where I trained. He trained in Liverpool. And I looked at him and he looked at me and he said, Abuna, which is what they call the priest in Iraq. You know me. I was in your Sunday school when I was 10 years old in Baghdad. And that was just the first of my children who I'd met years later and he was saving my life. And I was talking to him in Aramaic, in Assyrian, in a hospital in England. And he said to me, nobody would have ever believed that I have spent the morning talking in Aramaic to my patient in England. And, but isn't that a sign of the suffering of this present world not being worthy to compare with the glory that is to come? We are still in the resurrection period. And in, in um, Jewish tradition, we are in the time between Pesach, Passover, and Shavuot, which is Pentecost. In Christianity, we're in the time between Easter and Pentecost. And in Judaism, what we do is we count the days of the Omar. What day are we on between the two? And I think today we're at day 20-something. But it, it's all to do with counting the days to the glory of God the glory of God and the glory of God comes after death the ultimate glory comes after the cross resurrection we think of the Mary Magdala and Mary the mother of Jesus and Peter and John going to the tomb of Jesus. And all of his death robes that he was covered in were all screwed up together. But there was one cloth on the end which was wrapped smart and folded. 
And in the Jewish history of the time, that was very important because if you were to feast, you would screw up your napkin when you'd finished. But if you had it laying neatly there, it meant, don't move it away, I'm coming back. And today, our Lord says, don't move away, I'm coming back. The children in Baghdad always used to say to me, Jesus said he was coming soon. When soon, Daddy? I said, soon is very soon. We don't know, but we know he is. So I bring this headscarf of Jesus and I'm anointing it with the actual oil from the temple, with all the spices and smells in it because I believe this is a great sign that Jesus is coming back and that you are just doing the work of the glory until it is all revealed. You can't open it. It's too stiff. Never mind, we'll put some on here. And this handkerchief, which is covered in anointing oil, even more so now, is really lovely. It's lovely to be have a napkin with his anointing oil on it and we need to all remember the napkin Andrew I'm giving you this napkin because I want it to be a reminder to you all of the glory that you are living in and working in and revealing in because this place is no ordinary church it's very, very special. And thank you for inviting me here. Have your napkin. <laughs> Smell it. Yeah. Uh. Now, in, in church in Iraq, you don't just preach to the people. They come back to you and say, what a load of rubbish, or why did you say that? So does anybody want to come back to me and say anything? <laughs> I would love you to. Glory, thank you. And we are living in the glory, and the glory is about making us recreated and making us whole and restored. And we've all been through such a terrible time in this pandemic, not just those of us who nearly died of it, but all of you who were left in a very difficult life, very broken. And the church is needed more than ever to be the family of our Lord. And we need to come together. I think it is more important than ever that we come together as a family of Christ. Because together we have the glory. 
and all these people who've had to survive with online church and online everything. You even go to having a phone up for an appointment with the doctor and it's not real, it's online. I think it's really sad. Lord, we pray that you will liberate us and you will bring us as the family of Hashem back together. Online church, not such a thing. Online church is not the online body of Christ. You have to be together. Online church may have been good in the pandemic. It might be good for not meeting the people you don't want to meet. <laughs> but the glory of this present world is being together. And being made whole. I want to, um, you know, I would love to be able to um, meet some of you briefly. I'm not into really long prayers. When I pray for people, it's short and sweet and to the point. But I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to minister together. And I felt the Lord telling me today that he wanted to bring healing to various people, but one person with retinitis pigmentosa. Now, most of you won't have a clue what that is. But if you've got it, you will know what it is. And the Lord wants to bring healing to three people here who've been suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome. And the Lord wants to bring healing to some people who've been suffering from very bad IBS and very bad pancreatic and gall problems. So we pray, Lord, that your glory and healing power will descend on these people now. Because you are here and you can hear us. We can hear you and we receive your healing. Come, Lord Jesus, we need you. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. I wanted to sing a song yesterday, which I didn't know if we could sing. But do you have the song Waymaker? Can we sing it? Because I really feel that what the Lord said is that he is the Waymaker the healer, the invigorator, and he is going to do great things in your church and in your wonderful cities, because this is a place which he has revealed as one of his glory arts, like Noah's heart, saving the people. Shimi Baba Brona Broka Kosha Adonai Amen. Can you shout a bit loud? I'm very deaf. Well, it's a time of great expectation because the time is from the time of deliverance to the time of glory. The deliverance from death to the victory of righteousness. And the Lord said that I will come to all of you 
in a new way. Those of you who are waiting. And so this time of waiting is waiting for the glory. And it's a wonderful time of waiting. The Omar, the days of waiting. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Can we thank Andrew again? Oh, I forgot to mention something. I have a little book here which I've got. It's the shortest book I've ever written. It's called The Older Younger Brother, about all the terrible things in history that the Christians did to the Jews. And it's about building a new foundation for our ministry. And it's very good for counting the Omar. And it's actually quite a boring book. But it's full of life, but it's quite intellectual because it's a revised format of a doctorate I did. I've got three doctorates and 19 pretend ones, three real ones, and 19 honorary ones. But this is the most important read. And there are loads of my books, and the best book is being published this year. And it's called From the Suffering Zone to the Glory Zone. And deals with all that we've been talking about today. Blessings to you, my friends. We can get access to your books. I, I think this person here is working on the website. Okay. Now, this book here is a Bible which came from Smith Wigglesworth. It's his personal Bible with all his notes in it. And um, it was really the what um, enabled my grandfather was his carer, his bad character. Used to travel with him everywhere. And so at his funeral, Donald J. taking his funeral, gave his Bible to my grandfather. And my grandfather gave it to me and said, this was Smith Wigglesworth's Bible. And I said, Smith who? <laughs> Why don't you stay there just for a moment? I would love to pray with you and then we're going to do worship. Can we stand just to, to finish off? I think it would be great for us to just pray for Andrew if he's willing to do that. And then we're going to just join together in this song if the worship team is ready to go. So Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for these uh, wonderful testimonies, stories, accounts, truths that Andrew has shared. Lord, we thank you for the obvious and evident way that you've used him in incredible ways in his life in uh, so many different spaces in the midst of very challenging circumstances we thank you lord for his heart and his love for you first and foremost we thank you for his desire in the midst of of suffering and persecution and hardship to keep his eyes upon you and to continue to press in to see your glory and lord we pray as you taught us to pray that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, Lord, this would be the day where we see that ushering in of your kingdom, just as we wait with expectation to remember the day of Pentecost as your people gathered with one accord and like a mighty rushing wind, your spirit fell in that place. Lord, how we need the power of your presence in this day and this hour. So, Lord, may we see your glory here in this church. May Andrew see that in his life personally, in his ministry. We, we just thank you for the ways that you continue to use him, even though he's moved on from the Middle East. But we pray a blessing upon him in every way. May he know a new 
era and age and encounter and experience of your glory personally in his life and through him in his ministry. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.